everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can check out my conversation with Brooke Seam, memoirist, uh, someone who helps people deal with mental issues, addiction to antidepressants. She was great. So uh, you can go check that out at authormagazine.org. And we're funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. we got a little online conference coming up in a couple weeks, 18th and 19th of November. Little Friday-Saturday deal. I'm going to be teaching there. A bunch of people are going to be teaching there. Uh, you should come check it out. It's a good way to just sort of get some good advice about the writing. And I'm going to be doing something on writing book proposals. So if you're interested, go check it out at pnwa.org. Uh, speaking of memoirs, just had another one. Got to talk to Cheryl Klein, who just wrote a really cool memoir called Cry Baby. And uh, we had a great conversation about parenting, about writing about and about the memoir all of it and uh, she had a very interesting perspective on it all she uh, she is uh, the author of cry baby which came out from brown paper press in september and uh which is a memoir about wanting a baby and getting cancer instead she also wrote a story collection called the commuters and a novel called lilac minds and um, she is the senior editor and columnist for mutha magazine where she often writes about adoption, foster parenting, fear, and her hatred of Legos. Her stories and essays have appeared in Entropy, The Normal School, Blunderbuss, and several anthologies. Her work has been honored by the McDowell Residency Program and the Center for Cultural Innovations. Yes, so we had a great conversation, and I'm so glad I get to share it with you now. Enjoy. Okay, hey, uh, how's it going, Cheryl? It's going good. Um, we've got some rain here in Southern California today, so we're sort of channeling the Pacific Northwest rain. energy. See, I was just in Southern California, and it and for a while, Pacific Northwest was feeling like Southern California. It was smoky, it was hot, it was dry, and so you got to like the rain. It feels like it's got to it's got to feel like life is returning <laughs> to the desert. Yeah, it does. We, we need it. We need to just put buckets everywhere and catch it. <laughs> well, okay. So here you are. We're, we're kind of, you're not, you're out of celebration mode. It's been too, too long since the book was published. Memoir, <laughs> uh, Cry Baby, full title, Cry Baby, Infertility, Illness, and Other Things That Were Not the End of the World. Uh, so if I understand both from reading this book and the biography your publicist sent me, um, writing has really always been sort of in the cards for you. Is that a fair description or did something come to in your 20s? Um, no, that's a fair description. My mom um, was a children's librarian. So oh. she read aloud to my sister and I when we were kids. Um the Little House and the Prairie books are some of the first stories that I remember, mm. um, which, you know, in some ways were, were sort of loosely memoir themselves. Yeah. So I think I always had the kind of uh, language of narrative in my head. And um, I wrote uh, my first 
novella. I guess I would call it a novella. It was like 80 pages um, the summer after I graduated high school. And it was um, a really terrible story of um, uh, a girl whose uh, family had gotten uh, like lost all their money in, in the depression and she had to go live with relatives um, that she didn't know in Kansas. And, you know, I knew nothing about uh, the depression or Kansas, hey, but that didn't stop me. No, we writers are so hard on themselves in their first books. I have had so many writers describe my terrible, awful first book. I think I'm going to start a campaign to have writers stop describing them that way. You did the best you could. You were 18 or whatever, and you and you wrote about whatever came to you. Who cares? So that's my that's my pitch. Just be kind to Cheryl. She's doing the best she could. Well, I do think it's probably delightfully terrible at this point. Ah, I mean, I haven't okay. read it in many, many no, years. No, no, don't, don't do I that. Have... Don't do that. <laughs> it won't. That won't leave you feeling any better. Uh, all right. So you were eight. So you were that you wrote eighty pages. So that's a, you know that's a that's a good chunk of of that's a good that shows some persistence for a young person. Were you dabbling in poetry or anything or journal? You feel like feel like a journal writer to me. Is that, is that true? Yeah, I did do some journaling. My early journals in, I guess that would be like late middle school to high school tended to be um, sort of obsessive compulsive lists of ways that starting tomorrow, I was going to be perfect by every measure. Oh, <laughs> boy. How'd that I, go? I consider myself <laughs> a, a recovering perfectionist, which is a little bit of what Crybaby is about Yeah, as well. Yeah. Just you know, the expectations that you have for yourself and the ways that, like you said, you do the best you can at the time with whatever tools and information you have. I have a theory. I have a theory here. I'm going to put it, I'm going to give it to you. You're already perfect. You're perfect. But there's a difference between the perfection that you are and then the expression of it, the expression of it. It is what it is, you know, but within you, there is a light undimmed by all your fears and foibles. What do you think of that? I love that. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, I think it's true. I believe it. So, okay. So you're writing along and you go to college. What do you, what do you study there? Do you go to college? I don't know. I, I dropped out myself. So I don't presume. <laughs> I went to UCLA and um, I was an English major. Um, my, the sort of subgenre of English major was um, American literature and culture, um, which I, I tell people that's as close as you can come to majoring in pop culture. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't super into like Chaucer and Milton. And yeah. if you went the straight English major, right, you, you right. had to take like a lot of those classes. Yeah. Um, but sort of informally, UCLA doesn't have a journalism major, but I worked for the huh. Daily Bruin, okay. um, which was the UCLA paper. Sure. And I, I would say that's really where I became a writer because yeah. there's nothing like having a tight deadline and yeah. a word yeah. count or an inch count yeah. um, and the need to write headlines. Like, I think a lot of writers are, are scared of titles or they really struggle with titles. And um, I love titles. I mean, some things are more challenging to title than others, but I think that experience being a writer and editor for the Daily Bruin was just like things, things need a headline. I always picture it's, I always think about 
the Beatles and how the Beatles, I don't know how familiar you are with their biography. I'm a little overly familiar with it, but they, they, they went to Hamburg and played in this bar, like for like crazy 10 hours. They actually were given fed drugs to keep them alert, but I always think they played 10 hours a day. I just felt like as an artist, sometimes just doing something relentlessly at a young age where you just learn by just immersion is, is where you don't have time to think about it even, you know, is very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And as much as I just described myself as a a perfectionist, I think one reason that I love writing is because strangely enough, I'm, I mean, I want it to be good, obviously, but I don't think that I'm too precious about it. I just impressive. I sometimes I think I, if I could apply the tactics I take to writing to the rest of my life, (laughs) I would be better off because in writing, I feel like, okay, I can take constructive criticism. I can apply it. I can, you know, it's, it's deeply personal, but I can also step back from it and it can be less personal. So, um, I, I've learned a lot about life from the writing process. Hey, listen, anybody who's been listening to this podcast recently have noticed that I've been on a tear about this, that this is my current just obsession. I want to live as I write. That's it. I want to live. Yep. At, writing is where I've learned how to live on purpose because the page is blank, right? And mm-hmm. only I can fill it with the choices I make. It makes me be as conscious I can about everything, my emotional state. my And I want to bring that to my, the rest of my life. And I'm getting a little better at it, a little bit better at it every day. I'm right there with you. Good, good. All right. So fiction first. Uh, you, you, after leaving, your first things you published were fiction, your short stories, a story collection, a novel. Um, what were you doing to support yourself while you probably weren't supporting yourself off of short stories? So what were you doing to, to, to make ends meet if you didn't marry rich? <laughs> uh, my partner also works in the nonprofit education field. So ah, okay. I did not, okay. um, but, uh, right out of, um, I I graduated college in 1999, which was the time when lots of people were getting kind of content creation jobs at dot coms Mm, um, with names. Like I remember interviewing at a place called Lemon Pop and they were like, we are looking (laughs) for people who can write about movies and wrestling. Um, (laughs) And I didn't get that job, but I did end up working at a place called zaptoit.com writing about TV. Um, And it was like pretty good as first um, like job jobs go. I mean, I also worked in, um, you know, like a bagel store and bookstores and um, stuff like that. But you were writing, but you were being paid to write something. Yes. Yes. And to to think and to be creative as opposed to just labor. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was sort of freewheeling and sort of fun and not too high pressure. Um, And so I, worked there while I was getting my MFA at CalArts, um, which was also kind of fun and freewheeling. And it was the only MFA program that I got into. Mm -hmm. Um, But it turned out to be a really good one for me. It was just really serendipitous um, because they, they didn't require people to choose a genre. Um, You could write in any genre or hybrid genres. um, And they, like just there was a lot of cross pollination with other art forms, um, and then after I graduated, I you know I was pretty much like I want a job that will let me write and yeah, that doesn't yeah. make me feel evil, right? Um, 
Like you're and, somehow contributing to something that you yourself would never click on in a million years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and that was about, those were my main criteria. Um, but I started working um, in the nonprofit field first for uh, poets and writers. Yeah. Um, oh, they, okay. you know, they have a magazine, but they also yep. have like a nonprofit service organization arm. I did not know that. I didn't know. Yeah, that. a lot of a lot of people don't. Um, and they had a very tiny California office. And okay. um, I really credit poets and writers with kind of allowing me to develop a writing a writer's life because. When I worked there, I the main thing I did was um, help to run a small grant program for literary mm-hmm. events. So I went to lots of readings and writing workshops and communities yeah. Yeah. and saw writers at diff- many different levels of their careers and saw what it meant to kind of be a community writer and an independent author. And, um, and it just really opened my eyes and also just validated like, this is a good way to spend your time and spend your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and then after that, I, I worked at um, two other nonprofits that um, one it's a gang reentry program um, called homeboy industries. And uh, currently I work for eight two six LA, which is a youth writing organization. So it sort of combines the, wow. the writing side and like the community. You're doing good. Side. You're a do-gooder. You're a do-gooder. <laughs> it just embrace it. It's okay. We need people like you. But okay, so you so you wrote a collection of short stories. We could spend time talking about those. We're not. We're going to talk about Crybaby. Your memoir it. came out in September. Um, so as the title suggests, well, what you'll be better at this than I would be. Tell our listeners basically what this chronicles. It kind of says it in the title, but maybe you can outlay it better than I would. Um, well, I'm you know, it, it it was a story that took me many pages to tell. So sometimes it's challenging to summarize, oh, but yeah. I will. I, on, you got to be able to do this. This is part of the game. Okay. <laughs> do your best. It do is, your best. Do it your is best. a story about desperately wanting a baby and getting cancer instead. Okay. Yes. Yes. And, um, and But it's not about that. It's not really about that. But it, I mean, that's what happens. It is, it is also a story to me, the, the through line, there's basically three parts. The first part is um, when Cece and I decided that we wanted to become parents, we um, figured, you know, we're a two uterus household. We should be able to get pregnant. I've never um, heard it described that way. Pretty, pretty easily. <laughs> right. We got a, got a good, a good chance. Yeah. And it turned out not to be true. Uh, and uh, I had a miscarriage that kind of led to um a real, a real crisis point that was both, um, there was a hormonal element, there was a grief element, but it was also kind of a reckoning of, oh, it turns out that doing everything right, I'm putting that in air sure, quotes, quotes for, for the podcast. He's quoting, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, doesn't mean as much as um, those of us who kind of grew up with some middle class and meritocracy myths were led to believe. Now, a lot of people, they already know that like the system can be uh, stacked against you or that some things are the luck of the draw. But I was a bit sheltered in that I thought, even though I wasn't, I wasn't sure everything would work out my way. I wasn't cocky about it, but I did think that like, okay, if you want something, you put in the work 
Sure. And yeah, it's a perfectly reasonable, actually, I got to say, in defense of that, it's a perfectly <laughs> reasonable thing to think like, I will tell you this, it's better than thinking everything is against me because that is a horrible way to live your life and often leads to frustration and despair because it's you're better off thinking that you're like Forrest Gump and everything is going to work out. I really I do think it, it you, you set yourself up for failure, believing the world is stacked, whether it is or not. Does that make it's sense? It's true. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's kind of the... what else can you do, but do the work? What else yeah, can exactly. you do? Right. And, okay, and that's, that's sort of the irony is that, you know, yeah. plans are not foolproof, but if yeah. you don't make them, things aren't going to work out either. <laughs> right. You thought I don't, I wasn't, this wasn't supposed, I did what I was supposed to do. Why did this happen? Yeah. And yeah. And then, um, you know, so you that, kind of bottomed out after that. Yes. Yes. And yeah. that, that crisis point kind of led to a lot of tension in, um, our marriage. Sure. Um, sure. so we sort of had to work through that and kind yep. of figure out that like, okay, just because we have a lot in common, um, on some level, there are ways we just process grief and stress completely differently. And, you know, how do we recognize that we're two different people and respect those differences, but also find a connection? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the the miscarriage, um, I think a lot of, I've known other women who've had miscarriages and it's how difficult it is. And at first, when I first heard this intellectually, I was a younger person before I was in a committed relationship. Mm -hmm. I thought, look, it's your body. It does things. You know, it makes sense. Don't have to, don't take it personally. But I do think, and then, but then as I began to understand it more, see if you think, if there is a creative aspect to it. In other words, you're making a baby, right? You're creating something. And don't you think the grief that all artists go through Mm. when a a thing that they wanted doesn't happen, doesn't, doesn't come to fruition. They dream of it. They have hopes for it. And it's not working. It's not going to happen. And you feel both response. Am I not creative enough? Do I not have the imagination? Because I do think there must be something that the woman goes through thinking, if I'd been a better person or something was better about me, this wouldn't have happened. Is that mm-hmm. kind of the psychology of failure, even though it's not failure, but you can interpret it as failure? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. And I hadn't thought of that exact parallel before, but I think it's I think it's really apt because, you know, like like a creative work, it is both part of you. That's and not right. Part of you. And not part of you at all, but yeah. it's a part of you, but it's not a part of you, but it's a part yeah. of you. It's so, it's, I mean, literally it's inside of you. Yes. And yet it's its own thing, but it's inside of you. It feeds yep. you. It needs you. It's such a, it's such a, there is no relationship like it, other relationship like it on earth. Yeah. It remains the most unique that when it's in utero, right? Yeah. All right. So you bottom out and the title <laughs> suggests Cry baby. You're a crier. I am a crier. I mean, and I think that's know, an important part of this journey. You know, it's not just that you physically cry, but it's a metaphor for something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, I who knows, maybe I'll cry before the podcast is, is I feel over. like you like, could. I'm I feel a, like it's a possibility, but that's all right. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's definitely a story about grieving both um the actual pregnancy loss, grieving plans and dreams and, um, and, you know, and grieving, grieving those myths, um, of, of how I thought life was supposed to work. Um, and it's, it's also, uh, about, um, 
I think ultimately about being able to feel your feelings, which is like sort of one of the, one of the takeaways from therapy 101, I, I kind of used to think that, so like my family is very, on one hand, my parents were very supportive. They let me express myself however I wanted. Um, My dad, especially is very logical, like hyper logical. (sighs) So it was kind of like, if I was sad or mad about something, or if I wanted something that was fine, but I needed, I always kind of felt like, and now I need to show the PowerPoint presentation <laughs> right, right. of why that's a reasonable way to feel. Right. And I think that, you know, what I have learned um, is that emotions have their own logic. Um, just like every book has its own logic. Yeah, it's true. You know, like its own lexicon, its own language. Yeah. 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 And you have to inhabit and understand that um, rather than kind of just pushing it away. Yeah. You have to feel even the quote bad feelings, you have to let them through. They have to come up and let them go. And it's a subtle thing, but it's essential because if if you push, because we're all happy to feel joy, although probably there are people who feel guilty about that. and Maybe they don't, you know, I don't know. They don't let themselves, but the, you know, grief or fear or confusion, you do yourself no favor by stuffing it down, you know, because you don't want it to, you don't want to feel it. But it's got it. It's there to say something to you. I firmly believe it's speak. It's your guidance system speaking to you, and you might as well listen. At least let the thing happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, I had a, a professor who said that he believed that writers um, will write the same story over and over again, whether intentionally or unintentionally, <laughs> yeah. until they say what they need to say. I and yep, yep. I think human emotions are that way too. That you know, you can try to stuff something away, but it's going to find a way into your life, whether you like it or not, until you've faced it. And then sometimes even after you've faced it. Right, right. So it's a memoir. So you've written fiction, but you know, fiction and memoir can be, particularly if you're not writing like science fiction or one of the genres where you're, it's set in another place in time, fiction and and sort of contemporary, contemporary fiction and memoir can be kind of overlappy depending on the author, right? Um and so talk about the decision to write this as a memoir, because, you know, you've got a life. Now you've decided it's worthy of a book. Was it, did it happen on purpose or did you start writing a novel and go, oh, I actually think I'm trying to write a memoir. How did it happen? Um, it happened very, like I can pinpoint exactly when it happened. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so I was um, diagnosed with early stage breast cancer on November 12th. 2012. And on November 13th, 2012, um, I said to myself, fuck it. I'm writing a memoir. Um, and I think, I think that that came out of this sort of shock that like, what two bad things happened in a row, a miscarriage and cancer, um, as, as, and obviously lots of people have had even more than two bad things happen. Ah, who cares? Now. But it's still, it doesn't matter. They happened to you. They were <laughs> yeah, your bad I things. had this notion of like, I feel like I'm living in a story. I might as well right. write a story. Right. right, right. And then the the kind of corollary that I came to understand in the process was that by telling myself I was writing a memoir, you know, with no... And I told myself that a bit ironically, like I didn't think necessarily it would turn into a book and I wasn't sure 
you know, they were sort of like journal entries. Right. Written as if with an imagined audience. Right, right, right. Okay. So it started really, really loose. Yeah. But I, but in, in writing for this imagined audience, it forced me to have some perspective on my life that I wouldn't have otherwise. That's right. So I sort of imagined as if I was writing five years into a future that I wasn't even sure would exist um, because I was constantly scared of death. I mean, I knew that like the statistics were more on my side than not, but it wasn't a guarantee. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You you tell a great story at the beginning of it, of this uh, neighbor of yours, just boom, she's gone. You know, yeah, that, yeah, that was, you know, pe- people always say like, well, sure, nobody's future is guaranteed. You could get hit by a bus. And <laughs> she did. I had a neighbor who got wow. hit by a bus. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that that potential seems like it's it's not totally hypothetical. <laughs> well, what you know, for a fact, it is. And so, you know, I, I I love what you're saying. And I've, I write memoirs, sort of what I dwell in, even if it's the shorter yeah. pieces. And I think it's the cheapest therapy. There is because you you can't you know so the subtitle again I, it's infertility illness and other things that aren't the end of the world for a long time I wanted to write a book called the end of the world about <laughs> my my pension for catastrophizing things and the thing is as the author you can't catastrophize the character of the character of Cheryl is probably catastrophizing all the time but you can't because exactly. you can't tell the story because you you're trying to see the story. Yeah. Whereas the character is like, oh my God, this is, uh, you know, all is lost, all is lost, all is lost. And that perspective that is required of you, that's, that is, that is therapeutic. That is where balance and and peace, I think, is found. Does that make sense? Yeah, a hundred percent. That That's exactly where I was coming from. Yeah. And you have to find it. You have to find, and it's there. It's kind of weird, isn't it? You're, it's both there in you and then you can lose it in there and it's in you. And then you like, yes. you can see, have the perspective and then. I always tell my students, don't agree with your character. <laughs> as soon as you start agreeing with her or him, it's it's over. You, you've got to have a different point of view than they do at that moment. Does that yeah. resonate? Yeah. Like yeah. That's good advice. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I can do it, sometimes I can't. Uh, so, so, I, so 2012, a long time ago. And so did you just spend the last 10 years writing this or did, were you doing this and other things and writing this and other, writing other things? What was going on? Yeah. Um, I was, I would say that I probably completed a very, very rough draft um, maybe a few years ago. Um, part of it, I was, you know, I was writing it as I was living it. So there was, that was 2012. A, that is tough way to write it, man. God. Okay. But it's, I know another writer who did that. I know who wrote a memoir as her mom was dying. She was writing about it. It was like, wow, I don't, that's, tough that's a tough way it, to do it, it definitely helps you get down some of the details and yeah, you yeah, know and it helped yeah. me process things yeah um so and then after after uh i finished treatment um i'm like knocking um on wood well it's not wood but yeah, yeah i'll knock on so, it for you here I'm, I'm quite thank you i'm quite i'm i'm quite a magical thinker but you yeah. know as far as <laughs> right. i know at this whatever moment, it takes man <laughs> they're going good um yeah. So after treatment, I, um, uh, CC and I returned to the ad- uh, adoption process, which we'd sort of tentatively started. Um, I like to like get one project going before <laughs> the other one. It's, you know, it's, it, it's a way to be 
both efficient and hopeful, I think. Right. So, um, you know, even when the possibility of her or me getting pregnant was still on the table, um, we were looking into adoption. We'd always, sure, sure. It, it never seemed like a, like a second tier choice to us. It just, right. just it, another way to just another option. Yeah. It seemed like it m- might be harder. Um, that was when we didn't know how hard the fertility treatment was going to be. Um, and so it took, it took a couple of years before we adopted our, um, son. And so that, which is the kind of the third part of the book. And now that you're a parent, you can write a new memoir saying, what the hell did I do? And you can, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, listen, I'll tell you this. Here's my, here's my parenting advice. Not that you need it, but the thing I've learned about that I've raised, I raised two kids, both of which were difficult children to raise, but I think I wouldn't have had it any other way. You learn more from them than they will ever learn from you. You you Mm. just, they, they don't know that they're teaching you. Yeah. (laughs) They just think they're just, trying to get you out of their face but yeah they learn you learn they learn so much from you you know what the weird thing about kids is that i came to realize is we think they need you so much more than they do like they mm-hmm. like when you think I, I think about and i'm it's like the book it's like the book right so you wrote your book you've written this written this book you've written others now the book goes out into the world and it has all its own experiences that have nothing to do with you yeah people read it and love it or hate it or whatever but it's got nothing to do with you anymore even though it's your in that book, supposedly, yeah. and the kid goes off and they do stuff without checking with you or talking, it's just their own life. And yet you're so in their world. It feels so similar to me. Oh, so absolutely. Familiar. Where you just, you have to trust yourself that you did the best job you could you when you best? had some say in things. That's right. And um, they'll that- tell you 20 years later, all you did wrong. <laughs> and they'll uh, fill you in. The, the oldest one tells me, like every morning. Oh, okay. I'm often like, you are, you are seven. I I thought you weren't supposed to be a teenager for several years, but I guess it's good that you express yourself. Well, they see the probably they learn from you. I'm afraid that they're, they do the pick. If you have an expressive household, you can, you can expect it's going to come your way. All right. So I hope you're proud of this book. You should be a lot of work. Very, very readable memoir. People very funny despite its title, but you see Crybaby, it's a funny title. So it's got, it's got a great <laughs> sense of humor and uh, very honest. Uh, so I hope, I hope you've had some good conversations with people about it. That's the nice thing about when we publish a book besides with me, I hope that's led to some of that. Has it? Yeah. Yeah. V- very much so. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the experiences of, of cancer and infertility and adoption yeah. are all, can all oh, be very yeah. lonely. So being able to talk to people who've, who've experienced similar things is, is everything. It's gratifying, isn't it? It's, it's nice. It's, isn't it nice to see our work just having some effect on another human being in yeah. any way at all? Cause it's so you just typing away yeah. and thinking, and then it goes out and it kind of breathes in a way. Yeah. It's, it's connection and it, it, yeah. it takes on a life of its own. And there is something really like magical and wonderful about totally. that. Totally. Yeah, I love it. It's still beautiful. I still beautiful. Anytime I hear from anybody who's has anything remotely nice to say about something I've written, it's not just the praise for me that, that it's like living in their mind and doing something there. I think it's just gorgeous. So yeah, well, it's great. So the book is Cry Baby. People, I assume it's where all fine books are sold. What's the best way to get it? 
Um, people can purchase it directly from Brown Paper Press, which is my wonderful independent publisher. Yeah, yeah, so if you just go people. to brownpaperpress.com, it's right there. Um, it's also available on um, the independent booksellers books. and and on Amazon. We actually need some people to write Amazon reviews. Yeah, so that's if you right. Buy it on Amazon. Don't feel bad. Just write a review. That's right, people. It, it, it's the algorithms. It's the algorithms. They it's need the algorithms. The reviews. Yeah, blah blah blah. All right, my agent tells me the same thing. Get more reviews from. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, listen. This is great. Congratulations. But I'm not done with you yet, Cheryl. I want you to. Uh, I want you to finish the sentence. You ready? Okay. There it goes. If writing, all the writing you've done, even your journalism, has taught you anything, it's taught you what? To live. To live. Oh, good. How did it teach you that? Um, because writing is how I process things. So I think there are a lot of, I mean, I'm not the first writer to say this, um, at all, but I, I definitely, um, write to figure out what I think and feel and, and I, I, whether it's, and that goes for fiction as well. Yeah. So true. It's so true. Okay. Cheryl, it's been great talking to you. Congratulations. Good luck with the book. Thank you so much. This was a joy. Another one, another one who's talking about how writing and life are the same thing. You see, you see people, it's not just me. We're all learning about the flow, life. Yeah, teach you how to life. Create on purpose. That's how it's what you got to do. I want to thank my producer, RJ Jeffries. Thank you, my friend. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in. Uh, and so until next week, until next week, I want you to go find something you love to do and do it. Do it.